Luke chapter 6. I'm just going to read 12 through 16. You're going to say, Pastor, that is a really short little section of Scripture to study. Just hang on with me. Uh, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12. It says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. may not seem like a lot, but I, I want to share with you three, I think, important lessons before we get into the sermon on, on the plain, as uh, many would call it. Uh, three lessons I want to share with you. Uh, and here's the first. I want you to see that when opposition raises up problems, we need to raise up our prayers. When opposition raises up problems, we need to raise up our prayers. Now, it's easy to read through these verses and, and think that what Jesus is withdrawing to pray about is just a big decision. Because on, on the surface level, that's how we read it. We, we start in verse 12, and we read through 16, because there's little subsections, and we say, oh, well, Jesus has a big decision to make. He's got a lot of followers, and he's going to call these 12 that are, that are really going to become the, the, his true followers, his disciples. He's going to pour his life into them. And so what he's praying about, really, is, is this big decision. And so we walk away with, with kind of a lesson for us. Man, we should really pray about the big decisions in life. Maybe even spend a night in prayer about the big decisions. And that'd be great. I think that's a, that's a good, good uh, method to follow. That's a good example. But if you, if you read the text and you walk away and all you think that this is about is Jesus praying about a big decision, then you miss the reason that Luke is writing. See, the, the re- and, and, and to get the reason, we've got to go back a little bit. So we go back a Sunday, and we remember what happened on the Sabbath, right? So Jesus is, is teaching on the Sabbath, and a man is there, and his right hand, remember the hand of blessing, the, the, the hand of authority, right? The right hand, his right hand is withered, and, and he's there in the temple, and it's on the Sabbath. And so Jesus says, hey, hey, come here and stand up in front of us. And now the Pharisees, remember, it says they were watching and they were waiting to see if Jesus would do any work on, on the Sabbath. And, and so they're, they're, trying to, they're basically plotting against Christ. And, and so here's Jesus. And remember the lesson. He says, let me ask you a question, guys. Because he knew what they were thinking. He said, what's lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? There's no neutrality. There's, there's no, hey, I'm halfway in the middle. It's either you're going to do good or you're going to do evil. And he says, now, which of those is lawful on the Sabbath? What do you think the Sabbath is about? Doing good or doing evil? And they're silent. And they're silent. So Jesus says, hey, hey, buddy, I want you to just stretch out your hand right now. And he does, and he's completely healed. He's completely healed. Remember, we're, we're, we're called. We, we've got to do something. We can't just sit on the sidelines. To do nothing is evil. Jesus, Jesus, so he does something on the Sabbath. He heals this man. He, he loves this man. And, and the scriptures say, uh, and, and remember the lesson, he says, like, either, either you're doing good or you're doing evil. And so here's what the scriptures would say. It would say that um, the Pharisees were not all that excited about Jesus' teaching that day. You know, him calling them evil and all. They were upset. And so upset, look, look, at, look at verse 11. So upset, it says they're furious 
and they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is why we read like chapters of Scripture at a time, by the way. Because if, if we go by the, the verse markers, the kind, of the kind of the different paragraph marker, we miss something. So, so again, verse 11, but they were furious and they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now in context, we read verse 12, on one of those days, Jesus went to a mountainside to pray. On one of what days? On one of the days when the Pharisees were fuming and furious, Jesus went to a mountainside to pray. That's the context. That's the context. And when you see it, opposition has raised its head against Jesus. The Pharisees are now going to be a problem. And Jesus is withdrawing, not just to pray about who he will call to be a part of answering or, 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 or figuring out the problem of the Pharisees, but he's withdrawn because the opposition that he's going to face, he's praying about this problem that's before it. On one of those days when they're furious and fuming, Jesus has a decision to make. That is part of it. But it's the opposition that drives him to prayer. That's that's the the rest of the story is the fact that the Pharisees are going to be this great problem. And, And what does Jesus do when the great problems of life arise? What does he do? When 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 they raise their ugly head, he raises up his prayers. Now listen, Jesus is a man of prayer. We know that. We, we, we've, read, we've read through the Gospels. Jesus often withdraws to pray. Jesus has such an intimate relationship with his Father that at one point he says, I and the Father are one. Like, I know my Father's heart and my Father knows my heart. We, we walk together. We're, we're one. Jesus knows so much about prayer, he teaches his disciples how to pray, right? He knows so much about prayer that he knows the Pharisees are a bunch of frauds and they're not really praying as much as they're putting on a show. And so, so he, he gets on to the Pharisees. Jesus is a man of, of prayer, but this is unique. In our text, there, there's a phrase here that only appears here in all of the Gospels. And, and this is what it says. It says, well, on one of those days, Jesus went to a mountainside to pray. And here's the phrase, and spent the night praying to God. That phrase does not appear anywhere else in the New Testament. It's unique to this passage. It refers to, to an all-night prayer vigil. I think the picture of this was probably Gethsemane until Judas interrupts. This is, this is a night of serious prayer. It's what, what's going on. And and I just want you to see that. So opposition steps up, problems arise, and Jesus' prayer life steps up too. Opposition raises the bar, Jesus raises his prayers. He pulls an all-nighter. Friends, I just want you to hear this. There is only one way to battle the problems that we face because of the one who opposes us. And that is prayer. There is only one way to battle the problems that we face because of the one who opposes us, that's Satan. And that is prayer. When opposition raises up problems, we have to raise up our prayers. We've got to step up our game, okay? Second thing I want you to see in the text, the the calling of the the disciples and, 
And there's two words here. One is disciple and one is apostle. And a lot of people want to think, well, these were just, these 12 men, I mean, they're, they're above and beyond. They're, they're, just, they're just apostles. Me, I'm just a follower somewhere. And, and so uh, what Jesus does is really unique with, with the, uh, they're 12 apostles. They're also 12 disciples. And, uh, and so it's really, really interesting here. And so I want you to see this. Disciples is not just about learning. It's about following and doing. Discipleship is not just about learning, it's about following and doing. So in Jesus' day, it was pretty common uh, that good teachers had, had disciples. And those disciples would uh, walk around and, and they would listen and they would learn to that teacher. Wherever the teacher would go, they would often follow. And, and their goal was to listen and to learn. That, that was kind of their goal. Well, Jesus kind of says, hey, discipleship for, for you guys is going to be different. Okay, You're not just going to listen and learn. Um, you're actually going to follow me and do what I say. Okay? You're not just going to listen and learn. You're going to follow me and do what I say. And it says in verse 13, uh, a- after he's, he's gone away to pray about the opposition, the, the problems that he's facing because of the Pharisees, now he's got a solution to those problems, and th- that solution is going to be 12 guys. Okay? Now, some of these 12 guys are like superhero saints, right? I mean, I mean Peter is the rock. I mean, Peter's going to preach the first sermon. P- Peter's going to preach, in, 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 I mean, next to Jesus, the greatest sermon ever preached. 3,000 people are going to get saved. Hello, Billy Graham. There we go. His name's Peter. Billy Graham's a copy, okay? I'm just saying. So, it's, so here's Peter. First, I mean, first sermon in the church blows the doors off the place. There's no doors at this place, but anyway. So, I mean, awesome. So, so we've got the rock. But then, we, we, did you read some of the other names? What, what about... Bartholomew. See, there's a whole like gaggle of these guys that, that aren't going to really have any mark on church history to our knowledge. But something happens in this moment, and it's, it's, it's huge. See, what happens in this moment, Jesus calls all of the listeners to him. And there were more than 12. There were a bunch of people that were listeners and learners. So Jesus, all the people, they're saying, we're learners of Jesus now. He calls them all to himself. Come here, guys. Come on. Come on in. Group meeting. Huddle. Let's go. Come on. All right. Here's the deal. I, I, I'm, I'm looking for some men, and I'm going to ask you to step up your game. Okay? So to this point, you, you followed me. You like my teachings. You think they kind of fly, fly in the face of some of the stuff. You, that's awesome. But we're going to take it to the next level now. So now I need some men that are going to go with me. You're actually going to follow me from this place. And, and, and you're not just going to listen anymore, but you're going to do what I say and you're going to do what I do. You ready? Now here's my band of men. He starts to call them one at a time. You and you and you, 12 guys come forward. I think the guys in, in the back of the crowd, I'm going to be honest, I think some of them were kind of happy their names didn't get called. That's what our churches are full of, right? And Jesus, I'm glad you didn't call my name, that whole leaving everything behind business. I really like my comfortable house. Really like my cushy job. So Jesus says, listen, we're going to step this up and, and we're not going to do things the same way anymore. You've seen me healing the sick? You see me driving out demons? <laughs> Your turn. Woo. See, this is a picture of what discipleship is really all about. I, I think sometimes we think we, we, we honestly buy into that lie. Discipleship is about learning, right? Friends, I, I hate to break this truth to you. 
If, if learning doesn't change your actions, you didn't learn a thing, right? So, so the heart of discipleship is not about information. It's about what you do with the information. This is what I've been preaching to the youth on Wednesday nights. I've been teaching them for, for, for a few weeks. We're talking about transformation. The point of, of the teachings of Jesus is to transform your life. James would say that, that we're not just to be hearers of the word, but we're called to do what it says. And so Jesus now calls these men to himself. He says, I'm going to be your mentor, but you're going to be my mouthpieces. You're going to follow me, and you're actually going to do what I say. I just say to you that discipleship is still that way. I, I, I know we've kind of bought into what discipleship is in the church. Listen, if I'm in a small group, or if I go to Sunday school class, and I'm reading my Bible, I'm a disciple. Maybe. Depends what you do with that. You can go to Sunday school class every day of the week. Being small, I I know you'd be like, no, that's Monday class. No, it'd still be the same thing. It doesn't matter what day it is. Somebody's sitting down teaching in the Bible like they would in a Sunday school lesson. You you do that every day. You'd be in small group every single night. You can read the Bible every day of your life. You can be a great learner. You can know all the ins and the outs. You can answer every Bible trivia question. But if you're not actually doing what Jesus calls you to do, if you're not loving God, loving your neighbor, if you're not loving your enemies, if you're not willing to lay down your desires for his desires, you're not following. So you're a learner, you're an information gatherer, but you're not a disciple. See, many of these people that were labeled disciples here in this passage Jesus is going to talk about laying down his life. And you know what those disciples are going to do? They're going to leave him. They're going to leave him. He's going to talk about having to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. And they're like, we are out of here. That's too hard of a road for us. We just wanted the good information. Discipleship's not about information. It's about what we do with the information. It's not about learning. It's about following and doing. Lastly, you can read it on the screen before I say it. You're not going to like it. People will hurt you and betray you. Ready? Love them anyway. People will hurt you and betray you Love them anyway. Look at verse 16, if you don't mind. I want you to see that infamous name that's part of the 12 that Jesus calls to come and to do life with him. It ends with his name. It says, And Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus calls 12 men unto himself whom he will mentor to be his mouthpieces whom he's going to send out to do ministry, to do kingdom work. And, and of the 12 men that he calls, one of them is Judas Iscariot. And this is what I want you to see. Jesus knew what he was getting. He knew what he was getting in you, by the way. And he knew what he was getting in Judas. I, I believe that this is, this is, this is my contention that, that Jesus knew all along that Judas was going to betray him. I, I, I take that from Scripture. 
the Last Supper, he knows that Judas is going to betray him. In John 13, he, he knows that Judas is going to betray him as early as John chapter 6. It's my contention Jesus knew all along that Judas was going to betray him. But I believe he knew that because he knew something about people. That people were going to betray him. Go back and look at his ministry. He's never affected by the crowds. He has compassion on the crowd, but it doesn't matter how many people cry out, Jesus, Jesus. He knows the truth. He knows those same crowds will turn and shout, crucify him, crucify him. Like Jesus knows that. He knows that people are going to betray him. He knows that people are going to hurt him. This is, this is the, the bigger picture of the cross, my friends. And yet he calls Judas to his side. He takes him under his wing. He, he loves him. And he pours his life into him. He, he doesn't hold back. And, and this is why Jesus is dangerous in my opinion. Right? Because let's be, he, he's completely counter-cultural, counter-intuitive. He, he runs directly against the very fabric of in, the very grain of our existence. And he calls us out, not just out of our comfort zone. Some people are like, yeah, Jesus always calls us out, in the, the, out of our comfort zones. No, he calls you way beyond your comfort zone. Like, Jesus calls you to isolated islands where only grace rules. Like, like to, to a place that you've never imagined or thought about. That's where Jesus calls you. And, and if you don't believe me, just read the text. He, he, he calls us to points that if we're honest with ourselves, we catch ourselves saying things like, are you, re- are you kidding me? You want me to love my neighbor? Like, are you, are you really? Do you know my neighbor? You want me to love and to pray for those that persecute me? Are you kidding me, Jesus? Be honest. Like, if you're, if you're not a sinner and have never thought those thoughts, then you're probably in the wrong place. Like, like that's, that's the truth of the character of Christ. And, and, and listen, it, it, we, we have to, at some point, we have to confess, like, sometimes the teachings don't make sense. And yet it's here that we find Jesus. It's here. It's, it's here calling people to his side that will betray him and hurt him, turn their back on him. It's loving the unlovable. It's knowing that hurt and heartache will come, but it's loving them nonetheless. And I want you to see, listen, Jesus doesn't just preach this stuff. He doesn't just preach that you're supposed to love your enemy. He doesn't just preach a gospel that's difficult to comprehend. That we're to pray for those that pray. He doesn't just preach it. Jesus lives it. He, he breathes it. So when you read the Sermon on the Mount and you say, that, those are hard teachings. Yeah, those are hard teachings because this is who Jesus is. He's dangerous. And friends, this is where he wants us to be as well. So I'm going to make you a promise here today. You should probably write it down. You know, when somebody says, take this to the bank, it means like you can, I mean, Jeff's like, yeah, I'll take it to the bank. <laughs> There's a whole lot of things you should take to the bank, okay? I mean, all my heart, just write it down somewhere. Ready? People will hurt me. I promise people are going to hurt you in this thing called life. I promise you're going to get hurt. Okay? Write this down. Another promise you can take to the bank. Ready? People will betray you. People will betray me. You can just write it down. They will. People will turn their back on you. Some of the people that you love and care about the most. Some of the people that you trust the most. 
at some point we'll, we'll betray you. They will, ready? Here's what you do when they do. Here's what you do before they do, after they do, in the middle of them doing it. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. Jesus did. He still does. That's our story, friends. One of the tough readings this last week as we were reading through Matthew. Let's think about Peter's denial. Because this is where the gospel gets real, right? Say, I don't want to love people that hurt me. What if Jesus had that same mindset? Where would we be? How many times have you hurt him? I promise with Peter it was more than just the three times. I promise with me it's been way more than three times. It's probably three times yesterday. But you know what he does? He loves me anyway. And that kind of love, my friends, and only that kind of love is redeeming. Only that kind of love can break through hardened hearts, break through the depths of sin. Only that kind of love can affect someone's entire outcome in life. Only that kind of love can take somebody that has cheated time and time and time again and fully restore them. Only that kind of love. This is the redeeming love of Jesus Hear me in life, O Christian brother and sister, in a world where we are so afraid to get hurt, in a world where we hear about foster care crisis and we think, gosh, somebody should do something. But I could never do that. That would just hurt me so bad. In a world that is dying for Christians to step into gaps where they know that they might be hurt because Jesus lived that kind of life, we've got to get this. You may get hurt. Stop praying for safety. You're going to be hurt. People are going to betray you. Ready? Here's the key to them seeing Christ. Love them anyway. Choose to be an instrument of God's love despite the possible hurt to self and you will be like Jesus. That's the sermon. That's, that, that, that's the call, friends. That's it. So how do we apply maybe some of that? I, I, I don't know that I've got application that will be worthwhile. Um, I, I challenge you, I guess, um, point one, maybe just to step up your prayers. So much of what we face is not physical. So much of what we face is spiritual. Everything we face has a spiritual component, even if it is physical. It all affects us spiritually. So when you feel the the problems arising, when, when you feel the struggle getting real, when you feel the opposer bringing problems against you, you've got to step up your prayer game. Um, we're in that season right now as a church. We, we, we stopped and prayed last week for a lot of the things that are going on. We still have things going on. We've got a lot of health issues. 
Uh, the enemy's attacking. We had another uh, little baby in the hospital again this week. Uh, praise God, it's, it's not the severe stuff that they thought it could be. Uh, thank you, Jesus. But there's all kinds of stuff going on right now. Um, and so I, I just, there's an answer, though. We've got to step up our prayer game. So I, I haven't been coming on Wednesday night. We'll come on Wednesday night, and in the library, I think we're almost out of room in the library. We might have to move you guys to another room. We've got a group of people. All they do is pray on Wednesday night. From 6.30 to 7.30, they pray. In the midst of obnoxious pastors talking loud in the hallway, they pray. I'm going to be honest with you right now. I believe they are the engine to our church right now. Even if it's only five or six, I honestly think that what God is doing, I think the defenses that we see going on are because these people are humbling themselves and they're praying. And and I told them when we started, I said, we need, like, I need you to drive this. And I I remember the, the... the, the first Monday I came in and all the attacks started coming. I said, guys, I, I, can you please be our engine? Like, run this thing. Run this thing. And, and so I, we need some more people to join them. Wednesday night, 6.30, 7.30, just go pray. You're going to be blessed by it. So I, I challenge you there. Um, listen, and, and here's the deal with prayer. Some people always wonder, but I, I don't, I, is it really effective? Listen, God always answers prayer. Always. Always answers prayer. God's either going to answer yes, no, or later. Those are the three categories. So, hello, God, please do this. Yes, thank you, Jesus, awesome. God, please do this. He's like, I'm, I'm going to do it, but just not yet. God, please do this. And he says, no. But when God says no, he never says no to be neat. I mean, he always says, no, I'm going to give you something better than what you're asking for. I'm going to give you me. I'm going to walk with you through it. I'm, you're going to be closer to me than you've ever been. I'm going to give you me. So it's, it's always, and even his no is glorious. <laughs> okay? And, and, and here's the deal. As we study the Bible, I'm not trying to freak you out. Listen, God never changes. His character is unchanging. But in his unchanging character, he has a heart for his people, and he consistently changes the way that he acts towards people because of their prayers. It's part of his nature. It's part of his unchanging nature. Sometimes prayer changes the way that God acts. We don't know how to explain that. We just know that's the truth of the scripture. If you, you, you study any systematic theology, that means that you look at prayer from Genesis to Revelation, and you're going to see this truth. Sometimes prayer changes the way that God acts. So step up your prayers. Step them up, okay? Or two, uh, just a challenge to move beyond listening and learning into following and doing. I, I don't mean to burst your discipleship bubble uh, I'm glad that you're reading the Bible. I'm glad that you're attending small group or Sunday school. I'm glad that you come to church. Those are great. But hear me, Jesus doesn't just meet you where you are to hang out with you. He meets you where you are in order to take you to some place you've never been. He loves you too much to leave you where you are. His goal for you is transformation, not, not okay. I, I hate, that's the worst thing. All Christians, drop the word fine and okay out of your vocabulary. Somebody says, how are you? I'm okay. Come on. If you're not better than okay, something's wrong. Or if you're strong, just say, I'm I'm not okay. Had a terrible week. That's okay. Jesus will meet you there, but he's not going to leave you there. He's always going to say, come and follow me. Let's get out of this pity party. Let's go go work. Let's, Let's go do, all right? discipleship is about following. It's about doing. It's not about just, just about learning. The learning, now listen, hear me. You can't be one of those people that all you do is keep busy and you never spend any time with Jesus. That's not discipleship either. 
It's not discipleship. That's, that's, that, you're Martha at that point, and Jesus is going to say the same thing to, to you that he said to Martha, like, ah, your sister's chosen. What's better? Sit down and be quiet. Listen. Spend some time with me. Okay, but when we listen, when we learn, then we've got to go do. It's part of the process. So, so move. That's God's goal for you, is to move. I know that we don't like moving, but I'm so comfortable. Yeah, too comfortable. You're too comfortable. Move, okay? And lastly, I just, uh, just make it a banner statement. I, I, don't, I don't know how God's going to use that statement to affect you. I, I don't know what he's going to call it. Maybe he calls you into that crazy kind of life, like, like hey, maybe we'll, we're going to start praying about foster care. Maybe we're going to um, start praying about doing a ministry at the church where people are going to complain about us. Welcome. That's ministry, by the way. <laughs> like, you, just, you just love people, and they're like, I didn't like that. I love you so much. Come here and give me a hug. Love people anyway. I promise there's hurt. I promise betrayal's around the corner. But can I just, can I just tell you something? It's like the secret... Um, it's a secret of the Bible that we don't get. Ready? Listen, everybody up here, eyes here. People are worth it. People are worth it. People matter. They are worth it. They are worth the heartache. They are worth the struggle. Even the ones that you're thinking right now, uh uh-uh, not that person, they're worth it. In fact, that person might be the one you need to leave church and go love on right now. That one you're like, I ain't loving them. Yeah! Love them anyway. They are worth it. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word, which is rich and powerful and true and good and right and just. It teaches, transforms, it encourages, it rebukes. I pray that it's done those things for us this morning, God. Uh, Jesus, be our vision for a moment this morning. Show us who you want us to be, how you want us to live, what we need to do differently. Ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.